Welcome everyone to the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where garden nerds from around the world talk shop, share stories, and offer their favorite tip. I'm your host, Christy Wilhelmy. This week, we're talking with Stephanie Rose, award-winning author of 11 books, including Garden Alchemy, and her latest, The Regenerative Gardener, 80 Practical Projects for Creating a Self-Sustaining Garden Ecosystem. Stephanie specializes in organic gardening, permaculture design, herbalism, and natural skincare formulation. And she shares her passion on her website, gardentherapy.ca, as in Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you so much. It's so fun to chat with you again. We chatted last year when I did the Garden Alchemy birthday party and you were releasing your book, your other book. That's right. It's Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden. And we met, that's right, we met on social media and you invited me to do that Instagram live uh, when uh, that book came out. And I have to say, you're so vibrant and comfortable on social media and your lighting <laughs> is always perfect. Is, I, this is a kind of a rhetorical question. Is Canadian light better than American light? <laughs> well, you're in California, right? This is true. I'm in Vancouver, BC, Canada. So I mean, from an American standpoint, sort of similar Pacific Northwest, like Seattle, mm -hmm. it's cloudy, overcast, you know, that sort of like dappled light, which saturates the colors. So as a photographer, this is the, kind of the light that you want for things to look really nice, but you can see it's very gray outside, right? Now. Yes. Yes. Gray. Oh. And, you know, surprisingly, I was just there in, in Seattle for the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival. It was surprisingly sunny the whole time I was there. So I would like to think I brought the weather with me. <laughs> I think you did. It's called, it was called a Rex block, which is, I don't know, some ter term that they've, they've brought in. And it just means that there's, there was two patterns that made the weather hold and it could have held at, at rain. It could have held at sun or could have hold, held at fog. And they suspected it was going to be fog, but we got sun. Yeah. So it's, it's only a three hour drive from my house to downtown Seattle. So it's like a really close where our climate is really close. Okay. Yeah. I want to ask you your, your life didn't always involve gardening from <laughs> what I read. What was the in, impetus that brought gardening into focus for you? Yeah. So I was uh, that typical climbing the corporate ladder, grew up in the city, had no, you know, experience with plants or like sort of outdoorsy you know as a as a young kid I was on the city bus going into town listening to music and hanging out with my buddies you know so it really I really didn't have that sort of connection with nature mm -hmm. uh, and then you know I was working at my corporate marketing job one day I got sick overnight and I wasn't able to get out of bed for almost two years it <sighs> came on very suddenly I was severely disabled and uh uh, that time that I was confined to bed, you can imagine my body got weak, my mind became, you know, quite under exercised as well. Mm -hmm. And so what more perfect thing to rehabilitate my body and my mind, but to turn to gardening. So I didn't have a ton of energy, but I had this like little house in urban Vancouver, BC, and it had, you know, a square of lawn in the front, a square of lawn in the back and a couple of overgrown shrubs. And I got every book from the library on how to like grow vegetables and herbs and perennials and trees and change your soil and all this stuff. And I just poured over them in bed and then would go out and scratch in the soil and sort of inspect what I had and experiment and practice. Um, 
And so that over the next five years, I've got really great pictures on my website. If anybody looks at the about page, you can see the transformation of this dusty little uh, yard that was just, you know, completely devoid of any soil nutrition. It just looked up like a barren wasteland um, to when we installed the landscaping. So, you know, a nice patio with some beds around it and like a couple of like tiny trees with big spacing and some mulch, you know, like the typical, I've just started a garden and I can't afford to pack the stuff in. Mm -hmm. And over the next five years, it just turned into this lush oasis, almost like tropical, right? In mm -hmm. Vancouver, and like, it was so lush and full with a mix of like, herbs and vegetables and ornamental plants all in together looking beautiful um, and a hammock chair that hung right in the middle of the space where I could sit and enjoy the space and recover. So as that that garden transformed, my body transformed and my my health got better. And so over, you know, it took me about eight years, but I started writing garden therapy. Um, I started writing uh, I got the domain gardentherapy.ca because I'm in Canada and I started writing about some of the projects I was doing sort of looking for those other people that were kind of garden nerds like us Yay. and then when it was you know like when it was time for me to go back to work I decided not to go back to my corporate job and that I'd found the love of my life essentially you know something that healed me and I wanted to share it with other people so um, it wasn't just about me doing this alone it was about building community and finding other people like us because you know at the time it was mostly like retired folks who mm -hmm. you know and maybe gardened when they were younger and then finished their career and were sort of filling time and building their spaces now thank goodness so many you know more people lots of young people are gardening and lots more people but it was harder to find my my people you know yeah. so so that's that's the story of how garden therapy bloomed and, uh, and I went along with it. So what does your garden look like now? And what are you starting or planting to grow for the season? Well, that was the first sort of five years or so of that transformation of that garden. I then left that garden to someone else, bought ah. a new house oh. and then completely renovated this. So when I learned to garden, you know, that was sort of a stepping stone at the end of that I did, um, the Vancouver Master Gardeners program and became a volunteer master gardener. And I've been doing that now for 12 years. So since then I picked up all these other little skills, I keep the idea of experimenting and practicing. Um, but I've since got certifications in permaculture design and herbalism, like really learning the medicinal and healing properties of plants for how we can build regenerative spaces, how we can take those permaculture concepts. So my garden now um, is in a whole new house and I built it again from the from the ground up and it's uh and and have rebuilt it multiple times because it's a working space for me to go and experiment in but it's not landscaped it's a permaculture garden so it is a self-sustaining ecosystem that sort of mimics the forest or a meadow with plants that i love intermixed with wild plants ornamentals edibles herbs all those sorts of things together taking those concepts that i learned back then and bringing it to a whole new level now in my in my current home sounds fabulous and it's the fact that you guys get rain up there makes it i can picture lush yes <laughs> uh, just right away so your new book 
the regenerative garden teaches lessons about regenerative practices by way of projects, which is really interesting, I think. There are activities like building a hugel culture mound, making oyas, which we'll have to talk about, planting guilds, herb spirals, keyhole gardens, and fun stuff for kids as well. Why a project-based book? That's, it's such a great question. That is um, what I found my love for when I was first, when I very first started garden therapy, I started just showing pictures of the projects that I was working on. And as I started to meet more people, they said, ah, that's really great. How did you make it? And I was like, oh, well, let me write out the steps for you. Just like sharing a recipe or something like that. That's where I really found my love, writing out clear and accessible steps. Because as somebody who's disabled, I am not able to do really difficult things. And so I try to make the steps for things easy for me and then try to translate those steps easy for other people. Mm -hmm. um, so really I'll, like one of my core values is, is accessibility with a high aesthetic. So really, really good reward so that it's worth doing the project, but easy steps to get there so that you can replicate it at home. And so all my 11 books follow this um, methodology. And the last book that I did was Garden Alchemy, and that was recipes and concoctions and elixirs for your garden. So super fun book, like a cookbook. It was all, you know, taking that concept of herbalism and permaculture and how do we find the power of nature and be able to use it to grow a better garden. This one, um, that book was I didn't know how it was going to land. Honestly, like I sent it out there into the world. The publisher was supporting it. You know, I really pushed for having, you know, the kinds of concepts in there that I thought were important to share mm -hmm. based on my history, my research and my education. And people like ate it up. They loved it. They thought this was a great book. So the publisher came back and said, like, let's do, um, let's do another book. And they had some other idea, which was not related to this at all. And I said, well, this is the book that I want to write. Mm -hmm. And they said, let's do it. Like it's, <laughs> we really like it. And so it's a DIY project book, but this one more than any of them really talks through the theories. And in each chapter, I talk about the six concepts of pulling together a regenerative garden and that's soil, water, plants, climate, which we talked about at the beginning of our call, ethics and community. So those six elements all work together and they're weaved throughout all of the projects. So you really are getting the concepts of what is a regenerative garden, how you can apply it. And each one of them has ideas and how you can take the things further. But I still wanted to give practical and easy ways for people to go, this looks cool. I wanna do a Google culture and I can see the clear steps for how I can make it happen for me. Give me a couple of examples of like your favorite. What were your favorite projects that you ended up turning into step-by-step -step instructions in the book? I, I How do you choose? <laughs> so I, I mean, I love because I walk through my garden and there's so many different projects in there. So there's a really nice wildlife pond that I did in a wine barrel. And I, I quite like that one because the wildlife has uh, given it two thumbs up. Even the, when we were first building it and I didn't have any of the plants installed in the garden, I was just letting the water, you know, we built the structure of it. And when I say we, it was uh, me and my uh, eight-year-old kiddo. So... <laughs> Okay. So really, this is not a difficult project. And it was a lot of fun for us to do. So, we, you know, we'd filled it up with water, we had the gravel bed, we had the layers of um, the base so that we were going to start adding in the water plants. And I took this really beautiful gnarly branch from a curly willow and put it on top. And then like the water, because I used hose water. So we let the water uh, dechlorinate for a little while. Mm -hmm as you do. And uh, as we were doing this, 
all the, all these like we're right in the city right like I mean it's really I'm like how much wildlife is really going to move into our wildlife pond and immediately there was two northern flickers which are woodpeckers sitting on the top of the of the curly willow going okay where are the fish <laughs> nice who knows what they were looking for bugs or something like that but yeah that since then it's been probably the most active space in the garden and I keep it right in the center so it's quite beautiful easy to do and uh, it's been a lot of fun that's great and habitat <laughs> is such an important part of a healthy ecosystem so that's that's great that the first thing you wanted to talk about was setting up habitat it's fantastic uh now you have a lot of charts which of course is a turn on for a garden nerd. So charts and graphs, bring it my way. Uh, I love that you have this, these charts for really easy reference. Like there's one that's soil fixers, wild plants and how, how to help soil. Uh, let's talk about these options for a minute that are in those, those soil fixers. What are those plants? So, I mean, it's, there's a lot to list and a lot to learn because it's like a nice beefy chart. I knew you would like those charts, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea, but the idea behind um, soil fixers is that when wild plants, some people call them weeds, but when wild plants move into <laughs> some people, <laughs> we don't know, we don't, we don't know who them. they are, but we've right. heard it called, we've heard them call some this. people. Yeah. When these wild plants move into our landscape, it's because we've opened up a space for them to plant themselves and they're coming in to help give us some information about the soil. They're not going to jump in on like this perfect loamy soil and and you know say like uh, you know I'm going to propagate like crazy because these wild plants are a lot hardier. They need more they've got grit. They need more difficult conditions. Mm -hmm. And so if they're popping up in your garden, again this is part of what I talked about at the beginning about like trying things and learning and experimenting, doing a little research and seeing what happens. These plants are giving us information about what's going on beneath the soil. So I, a great example is when, you know, people have their lawns and they're like, oh, I always get dandelions in the lawn. And I'm like, yeah, you know why? It's because you've got really compact soil because it's constantly being tread on very mm -hmm. shallow rooted plants that are hungry for some nutrition. Each one of those little grass blades that comes up is a plant going, you know, can I please get something to eat here? Because mm -hmm. you keep cutting me and I'm not getting, my roots aren't able to get down there. And, and all, so I've used up all this nutrition. Um, and so the dandelions are going down with their deep tap root. They're mining for those minerals deep down, bringing it up, putting it into their leaves. Those leaves then decompose onto the soil and are able to feed the shallow rooted plants. They're also breaking up that hard soil. So we're getting some aeration, some space for microorganisms and larger organisms to dig around in the soil. So, I mean, that's just one. There's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of them that, you know, there's other ones that do, you know, that break up soil. There's other ones that add in certain, certain nutrition, um, some that like uh, deacidify soil. So what I did is I took this all and put it into a nice handy chart, which, cool. yeah, I mean, like, like you, that sort of thing gets me super excited. And there's a bunch of those in there. <laughs> I know it's weird, but it's like, oh, wow, this is so cool. I had no idea before I started studying these plants that like they're working for us. And here we're like, we're pulling out all the dandelions and aerating our soil. I'm like the dandelions are doing it. They're for doing free. the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's this, there's <laughs> they this taste really good. <laughs> right. And, and you can make medicinal teas and such out of the roots and leaves. So exactly. There's a small, very thin book. I dare say call it a pamphlet, but it is a publication <laughs> by John Jevons and the Grow Biointensive folks 
on how to diagnose your soil problems by what's growing in them. Yep. And, and that's one of those things, you, what you mentioned about the dandelion that brought that up for me. So that's something I will need to put in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so that's... in that chart, it, it, what it, it gives you kind of both of those pieces of information. So um, I don't have the chart with me. I have a copy of the book, but I was telling you <laughs> earlier, it's, it, I, I haven't received my copy yet. So, mm -hmm. uh, um, but it, it's got uh, different um, items in it that have the name of the plant and uh, what it's indicating in the soil. So what, what it's telling you about that soil and then what job it can do to fix the soil. Because I mean, this information is a little bit more hard to come by and I'm going from a perspective of, you know, some of these common weeds. So I encourage people to like use this to get started and then, you know, grab that passion to go a little bit deeper. And if you're seeing a weed in your garden, in your garden that you don't recognize, then, you know, uh, that you don't recognize in the chart or the book or um, head out, find out some more information and see what it's doing. Cause it's, it's trying to help you rather yes. than, rather than take over. <laughs> right. Now you also talk about polycultures, which are a big part of permaculture. Can you share what they are? And do you have a favorite polyculture collection that you like to grow? Absolutely. I mean, when I think about polyculture, um, the best way to sort of explain what it looks like is um, the opposite of how we're currently gardening and farming. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> however you're doing it now, stop doing it. Remember when I was talking about how my garden has all these different kinds of plants growing? If there's not in rows, it's not, I didn't, words like landscaped or, you know, even square foot gardening, you mm -hmm. know, even that, I mean, that's just the placement of them within squares, but it's, it's not I, I don't have raised beds with rows of vegetables and mulch in between and watering systems and, you know, all this sort of thing. I have all sorts of plants. So instead of just sprinkling, you know, like doing a row of calendula so that I can have that calendula to make my, you know, in my lotions and uh, body bars and things like that. Instead, I get six or eight different varieties from specialty herb dealers dealers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. That's what they are. <laughs> that's what they are. Yeah. Specialty herb pushers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's okay. We love what they do. Yes. Um, so I get, you know, six or eight varieties of, of each different kind of herb that I want to grow and then sprinkle it and spread it throughout the garden. So there's no rows whatsoever. And what that does is it gives me plants that bloom at a different time. It gives me plants that might be pest resistant or disease resistant. They're plants that might not be, plants that might host more, plants that might perform better, plants that might not. And it's the idea is not to then pick out the favorite and then just monocrop that, which is what we call how we're doing our agriculture and gardening systems, which is like, we're gonna plant kale, so we're gonna plant a row of all the same kale. Instead, it's giving us options and it's helping to uh, create its own ecosystem. So some of them will thrive, some of them will not, some of them will, will bloom earlier, some of them will bloom later, some of them are ready for harvest, some of them might have a different scent or a longer lasting property, some might be better for edibles. Like, and I'm just, I'm just still on calendula, so, right. <laughs> <laughs> right? So imagine doing this in your whole garden. 
you know, right. one of the things with integrated pest management is we want to make sure that we're putting in enough, like if we've, we're getting a problem with a pest getting out of control, then it's not about, okay, what do we spray on it to kill the pest? Is we look at what is it eating and what eats it? So how do we invite the things that eat it into our gardens? And how do we figure out what it's eating and say, well, maybe I can do a little less of this and something else that it doesn't like so much. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it, and it's the same with disease. It's the same with pathogens like bacteria and things like that in the garden, fungus, um, figuring out which ones, you know, survive and thrive is a part of having this sort of really open garden space. And so, yeah, take that beyond calendula. Mm -hmm. <laughs> into all the other plants and now you're growing herbs and vegetables and ornamentals and trees and shrubs and everything together yeah polyculture polyculture <laughs> and I've I've also heard you know uh there's one particular polyculture that I'm thinking of where it was a combination of radishes lettuces and some other thing that was you know where they all come to fruition at a different time where they yeah. mature at a different time and so you're picking the radishes because those are done in 30 days and then the lettuces come after that. And then what goes in after that is some of the bigger crops that take up more space. When you start pulling out the radishes and the lettuces, you end up with enough space to do the bigger things. So polycultures, it kind of covers a bunch of different concepts in, in that what you said and what I said and probably more, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's plants that are different heights, plants that are different properties, plants that bloom at different times, plants that companion with each other, partner really well to help each other with disease or pest resistance or to bloom. You know, it's all different ways of not planting one thing, but planting multiples in order to, you know, remove that monocrop and the work that has to be done to manage one crop and planting like the forest or the meadow does with many things together. Right. Well, it is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Well, I think one of the things that I came to in this book that was kind of my aha moment was when I was writing the chapter, uh, the last chapter, which I called community, I originally called it wildlife. And, you know, people get really excited, especially all of us, you know, garden nerds are <laughs> all of us organic garden nerds about how important it is to bring wildlife into our spaces. But the thing that hit me was that, especially what's gone on in the last couple of years, is that what's also really important is for us to support our communities and bringing our garden space and understanding that not only is it a wonder is it wonderful for us to build it so that it heals the land mm -hmm. so that it's offering space to our wild animals and insects and um, those creatures but so that it helps to bring together our communities and so there's a whole bunch of projects in that chapter there is wildlife ones like bug hotels and the pond and things and uh, wildlife hedges and things like that but there's also projects that sort of attract your local wildlife, your neighbors and the passersby mm -hmm. to enjoy your garden. Yeah. Things like seed libraries, mm -hmm. urban flower stands, um, even a children's garden. And so my tip for folks is to not think about your garden as your garden, but as one ecosystem in part of a community. And how can you take that, manage that little space so that it can support others in your community and bring us all together because we can use that more than anything right now. That is so true. And I can't tell you how many 
times, I've installed a front yard vegetable garden for clients and it changes the neighborhood. People come out and start talking to each other and they're, they're like, oh, what are you growing? And oh, how do you grow that? And, and it just spreads through the yes. neighborhood. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. So you asked for a specific tip and I gave you sort of a general idea of a tip, but mm -hmm. I'll give you a, a specific tip that something that will bring a lot of joy. If you can plant a children's garden somewhere in the front of your space, um, that is a space where we can help to educate the next generation, where they can interact with plants, plants that they can smell, taste, touch, watch the bees enjoy. It's attracting your local wildlife. <laughs> because they will trample it a little bit. But that was one of the most rewarding things I did in my first garden was to plant, I would plant things like ground cherries and little um, cucamelons and like mm -hmm. edible plants, but lots of herbs, alliums, like big purple pom-poms for them to play with and have all these things out at the front of the garden and children were drawn in like magnets. So, you know, and that for me gave me a lot of, a lot of joy and it helps to spread that uh, to the next generation. That's a great tip, Stephanie. Thank you so much for that tip and for being a guest on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad we did this again. <laughs> yeah. Well, so where can people find you? Ah, well, you can find me on gardentherapy.ca. You can Google Stephanie Rose Garden Therapy. I'm on all social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, what else? There's, I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting. And they're all, <laughs> and I'm Garden Therapy on all of those. Um, and uh, so all my books are listed on my website as well, but you can find them at all major booksellers in Canada, the US, the UK, most English speaking countries and some that are not English speaking as well. We've had some translations into other languages. Awesome, very exciting. All right, garden nerds, you'll find links to Stephanie Rose's website at gardennerd.com this week. We'll also share her other books and social media feeds so you can find all of those things. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. And you'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!